right, it's backpatting day. Yep, reach around, pat yourself on the back because you've made it to Friday. That means the weekend is directly straight ahead. This is Tony Beam, Director of Church and Community Engagement for the Tim Brazier campus of North Greenville University, where Christ makes the difference, and where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and for society. I also serve as Director of Public Policy for the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and I'm the interim pastor at Five Forks Baptist Church in Simpsonville. If you don't have a church, come take ours. We'll be glad to give it. No, I'm just kidding. Come to church at Five Forks. We'll be glad for you to come by and enjoy some great worship and some uh, mediocre preaching delivered by me. I'm kidding. People tell me it's okay. So well, I guess that would be mediocre. Okay, right. I had somebody compare me to Billy Graham the other day. That's, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they were in their, uh, like, 101 years old or something. I, I mean, I'm kidding. Still thought, still thought Jimmy Carter was president. Yeah, yeah. It was. But, um, now we have, we have good services. It'd be great for you to come by. It's uh, located on, uh, over there close to Woodruff Road. It's on, what's the name of that road? Scuffletown? No. Five Forks? No. Uh, there's another one over no, there. No, I know there's another one. That's the one. That's it's it? off a, Yeah, it's off well, of Highway 14. Use that one. Turn yeah. on that road. You'll be right there. The one that's not Five Forks or Scuffletown. <laughs> you that's can't the one you need. miss it. <laughs> it's that stupid intersection where if you're not in the right lane when you get up there, you're really ticked because it's too late to move. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got three. You, you've got a, you know, you're driving up there and you're going, is it the far right lane that go straight or is it that what is it this lane which which one and by the time you've thought about all that you're in the turning lane and you can't do anything except turn that's where i get my chinese food there's a chinese restaurant over there tokyo something and yeah it's on the left right Mm -hmm. that's correct it's on the left right um i haven't been there so that's pretty good roger over over roger (laughs) over run over under um is is it is it pretty good because i haven't been there i was thinking about going by good like it i've tried out i like chinese food i confess um all right robert blake passed away i think you probably heard that at the top of the hour um he from our generation uh he was a pretty big star mm-hmm. you know he was uh beretta and he had he lived with a cockatoo which was kind of interesting he was a detective lived in an apartment and had a bird flying around yeah. in there that he talked to which is really bizarre. But um, what he's really known for more than anything else is he got he got charged with murder. Uh, they had kind of a strange, it was kind of a weird marriage that he had with his wife. And when she was found shot in a, in a car, um, they decided to charge him. He spent 11 months in jail in like solitary confinement. And then he paid, finally got out, uh, must have been having some financial problems, I guess. You just figure most actors are like Forrest Gump. You know, they're gazillionaires. But um, he, when he got out on bail, um, then the trial started and he was acquitted. And then what was really sad, after being found not guilty of killing his wife, that the, the lawsuit started flying and he ended up having to pay $30 million in a lawsuit for the death of his wrongful death of his wife, which it, the standard for winning a wrongful death lawsuit is way lower than the criminal standard, 
You know, it, it just doesn't take as much to prove wrongful death as it does to prove murder. So he, the, the family won the wrongful death and it bankrupted him. I mean, it's really sad. Um, he was 89 years old when he passed away, had heart disease, and they say that's what finally caught up with him. Did you mention that he started with the Little Rascals, our gang? No, you know, I didn't. I forgot about that. Our gang. Yep. He was. I used to watch that. He on, came in uh, kind of late toward the toward the latter part of that yeah. before they finished yeah. up. But yeah. What was his name? I'm on trying there? to remember. Yeah, I was camera. just trying to remember. Cute too. little kid, though. Yeah. He, uh, I, you know, I'd come in from church on Sunday, and it was always 1230 was Fred Kirby and the Little Rascals, the singing cowboy. And he had Mr. Doohickey, you know, yeah, with him. It's okay. We're... The the people in the white coach don't get it here on Friday until about seven thirty. Noah, you picked the right thing to come. You did, because uh... I'm just in a mood. I'm just telling you, I'm in a mood. Yesterday was a horrible day, and I'm just in a mood. William, thanks for calling. Morning, Doctor Bean. Uh, before you get started with your morning show, I just want to ask you. Mentioned Jimmy Carter, and obviously a lot of people would say that he was a good, he's a good man. I know he's, he's close to passing, and uh, but you look at him and his politics and you look at like the uh, picnic, uh, the politician that was killed in the Charleston church shooting and you see these men that are good men Christian men yet how could can you explain how some of these Democrats have their democratic views but it seems to me that it conflicts strongly with their Christian views and how do they try to justify you know being on a progressive side of a party that to me has no Christian values and I'll hang up on this Wow. You, William, here I am trying to take the day off, basically, on radio, you know, the equivalent of it. Just, you know, you can tell if I start out of the gate, you know, talking about the stuff that we've been talking about, I'm probably kind of mentally checking out for a day. And then William brings me back to reality here. Um, well, what I would say about that is it has a lot to do with your interpretation of Scripture to start with. Uh, you know, the Bible's a pretty big book. And you can pick and choose which parts of it that you're going to embrace and which parts of it that you're going to preclude uh, based on maybe the philosophy you were raised with. Um, I think a lot of these, a lot of the Democrats um, are, they tend to be progressive in their thinking about everything. And so when they look at the scripture, they magnify the sections that talk about uh, justice and oppression of the poor. Um, and different passages like that that give them sort of a, a, a much more progressive view of things, they tend to minimize things like abortion. Uh, they minimize uh, sexuality. Uh, they say, you know, one of the things you'll hear all the time is that Jesus never talked about sexuality. He never talked about uh, homosexuality. He never, as if, you know, that anything, if Jesus precluded a subject, then that means that there's nothing in the Bible about it that we need to uh, adhere to. And that ignores the fact that a, a good biblical ethic, a good hermeneutic, is to believe that the, the Bible is God's Word from start to finish. So everything that's in the Bible is the Word of God. So you don't elevate Jesus' words above other things or assume that because Jesus didn't say something about it, that that means that... Uh, it's never been addressed. I mean, as far as I know, Jesus never talked about pedophilia, but I think it. I think you'd have to really stretch the envelope to decide that he wasn't against it. I mean, you know, he did talk about 
anybody hurting one of these little ones or causing harm to them. But um, I'm, I'm talking about specifically, there are a lot of topics that were never directly addressed. So I think Democrats pick and choose what they're going to live by and emphasize. And then I would say another group of people put their political desires above everything else. I mean, if you if you're somebody that's walking with Jesus and you have a personal relationship with him, then your priorities are going to be set by the Holy Spirit and by what God's word says. Yet your priorities are going to be driven by that relationship with Jesus. So, if but if you're prior, if you're a so that then the question becomes, are you a Christian who is a politician or are you a Christian who is in the world of politics? Or are you a politician who happens to be a Christian? And I think that drives the narrative. If politics is your key or number one focus, then you're going to sacrifice everything below what brings political gain to you in order to continue getting the gain. Um, and that may include the truth of the Scripture. You just you treat the Bible as something that you can take or leave, then you can take the parts you like, leave the parts you don't, and emphasize your political views. I'd, I'd be curious. Noah's here again today, and I, I apologize. I should have introduced you at the beginning. Uh, but we haven't started the show yet, according to William. We're just, we're just waiting to start the show. I'm kidding, William. Phone's ringing, Mr. Producer. Um, so what do you think about that? That's a pretty good question. You know, how is it? How do we treat people who talk about their relationship with Jesus and yet embrace political viewpoints that are contrary to the Bible? Well, this is something that I've wondered a lot, and I run into a lot of, a lot of Christians yeah. who, who are leftists, especially at college, and it's something that I've given a lot of thought. And I think it's people embracing the love of the gospel and kind of neglecting some of the other things at times. And obviously the love is very important. But God calls us to live a certain way, and it is important that we do that. Yeah, I think that's, you know, when you talk about and, uh, emphasizing the love, they talk about um, love more than justice. And, of course, holy love, which is what the Bible speaks about, that love is holy, it's set apart, it's a, um, it's a pure thing. And in order for it to be pure and to be set apart, you, it has to be just. You know, you can't. You, I guess you, you, we need to have just love, which doesn't mean love exclusively. It means love that is supported by a sense of justice. And justice comes from a sense of right and wrong. And so if you, if you just love without any sense of justice, then you end up with not holding anybody accountable for any action if your highest um, – desire or attribute if you elevate love above everything else and don't balance that with a sense of right and wrong. Is that, you think that's right? Yes, and I think abortion is really the biggest issue because you have over under about a million babe, unborn babies being killed each year just yeah. from that. And in yeah. my opinion, that is easily enough to never vote Democrat in your life on that single issue alone. Yeah, especially now. I mean, they used to have pro-life Democrats. But now they've all been run out of the party. It's not a matter of, you know, if you're a pro-life Democrat, you, you've got to go find somewhere else to be. They don't want you. 
And that's just a that's an indicator of how progressive the Democrat Party has become. Okay, Andy, let's go ahead and take your call before we go to the break. Yes, sir. Yeah, good morning. Uh, just three quick points here. Uh, Jesus didn't, as you mentioned, Jesus didn't talk about rape and incest, but I, I believe we would conclude that Jesus would be against rape and incest. So um, the exclusivity of, you know, Jesus has to utter words to take a position on the morality of something is really just silly. Um, second point is on the love. You can't have love without accountability. And I think you ended up slipping that word accountable in there when you were talking about justice. Yeah, it was an accident. Um, we're, we're, yeah, I mean, you think about, you know, a husband and a wife can't have love if they're not accountable to each other. And that um, you can't have love if you're not willing to, you know, protect the safety of an individual. Have the challenging conversation um, about the lifestyle and the direction that they're going if you truly care about them. Uh, and then the uh, the last point on the Democrats and Christianity that I would like to make is that, you know, a lot of those folks believe in the evolution of Scripture as well as the evolution of the Constitution, that it's not a unchangeable document, that it can evolve with time and that it should be, which kind of hints to the word progressive, and that it should be uh, modified, interpreted based on our standards and whatnot of today. Yeah. Great points, Andy. You always make them, and that's why I appreciate you uh, giving us a call and being so quick to hang up so we get to hear that lovely sound. Uh, who am I talking to here? You've given me no indication whatsoever. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, that's Rob. Okay. It's Rob. Hello, Rob. Hey. Good morning, Dr. Bean. Hey. Um, uh, just based on the, the, your answer to, to William's question there at the end, uh, or your first the first call of the day, yeah. um, a lot of things that you said uh, surprised me um, uh, how, uh, with the abortion issue that came up at the end, how how we cannot, or how can how can someone like yourself support uh, a bill or not support a bill that would criminalize someone for murdering any and all babies? Uh, especially when it comes to the, the mix of justice and love that you spoke on at the end. I don't, I don't know how that's possible. <clears throat> well, look, I've, Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Um, that's a valid, I mean, that's a fair question. Um, I, you know, I, I know what you're talking about, of course. You're talking about whether to uh, hold women criminally liable if they have right. an abortion, if they kill their baby. And I've, I've wrestled with that. I've wrestled with it a lot. Um, I understand the justice element that's involved in that in terms of that there is a, a place where you would say, okay, a woman walks into a, an abortion clinic. Uh, she's not being forced into the clinic. She's actually leading to the death of her own child. So why would you not charge her with a crime? I think that we are a long way off from a society that politically would ever embrace that. Um, I think that when you ch- – I've always said that if, if, if we, as long as we keep the emphasis on the life of the baby in the womb, if we can demonstrate that it's alive, if we can demonstrate that it, it is a human being, that it's a baby, that and, and you see the um, ultrasound pictures and all, then I think that – you're, you're, you've got a lot better chance to win the public debate and get traction to get political uh, politicos, people in the legislature, to go along with you to protect life in the womb. 
if you change the conversation over to the criminalization of women, then immediately you've lost a lot of support because having to, as you and I as Christians, having to explain that, um, you know, this is why a woman should be held criminally liable when very few people are ever going to embrace that. I think it what it does is it forms a barrier between the, the success that we can have and actually protecting the baby in the womb, which is really what I'm looking for. Now, after saying that, let me say this. I think that down the road, let's, let's say that we get abortion um, uh, outlawed, which let, let's say even if we passed the bill that's currently in the Senate, H3774, if we, yep. can, if we can stop abortion at conception and go after the industry that has lied to women for 50 years, deceive them, um, and, and help educate the public that science has been lying to the public, just like they lied about COVID, just like they've lied about many other things. They've lied to women about what grows in the womb. Let's get beyond that, and then maybe we can start advancing and adding penalties I would not be opposed to a a criminal code that would hold everybody equally accountable once we get to the point that we understand that a baby is alive in the womb and we need to protect it. And I'm not talking about you and I understand it. I'm talking about winning that argument in the public arena so that we can get a bill passed. Does does, does yeah. that make any sense? Yes, yeah, yeah, sir. I, I understand. Um <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, uh, wouldn't I guess my response to that would be yeah. uh, that would be a, a the politician's decision to make of how to how to get the right legislation passed. But it would be the church's responsibility to preach the word of uh, scripture and yes. and and not you know hold them to that and not what's pragmatic, what not what they think can pass at the moment. No, I, I understand that, that Rob. And I'm yeah. Look, I appreciate you having this conversation with me. Um, I struggle with that because we look as believers. We're a part of society, and if we're going to have political gains and we're going to get people laws passed that we believe are moral and just and right. If we get if we get those things, if we're going to accomplish those things, we've got to recognize that we're not necessarily in the majority. So we've got to we we've got to work to get laws passed, and 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 in order to do that, and I'm not saying that you, I I'm not saying that I don't agree that that justice, and I think you're talking about probably the concept of equal justice as it relates to all life, which this yep. is absolutely, I mean, I think honestly that's logically unassailable. So and as far as when you're talking about the um, justice for the the baby, if, if our argument is that the baby's alive, I just think that because we have to accomplish this politically. You know, when I'm a pastor and I'm, I'm at a church, I can stand up as the pastor and I can say, look, this is the truth of God's Word, and if you're going to believe, if you're going to be in this church, you need to understand that you do have a right to stay or go, but this is what we're going to do. I can't walk into the legislature and do the same thing. I can't stand up and say, okay, you guys, you understand 
that this is right according to God's word. And you either get on the train or you don't get on the train. And most of them are going to not even go to the station. And we're not going to be able to pass laws that protect life. I want that. And then we can extend. Then we can extend politically. In other words, let's protect the baby. Let's get let's because right now we're a 20 week state. We've got women coming here to have abortions from other places because we can't right. get the Senate and the House to talk to each other and figure this out. So we, if we can't even do that, how in the world are we going to put forth legislation that goes a step further at the same time? It, you know, it does the same thing at once where women are put on the uh, are charged with a crime I, I mean it's it's far enough to try to get the abortionist charged with a crime because they're the actual ones who's committing the murder it's almost like a hire murder for hire because she's paying somebody to kill her baby and so i get that believe me and i appreciate look i i hope you know i'm i'm not critical <laughs> of I, I try not to be critical of people whose philosophy is going further, or you have a different approach, let's put it that way, to trying to accomplish the same thing that I want. You and I want the same thing. Um, I, I, I don't think there's any space between us when it comes to saying what we want is the protection of all life, beginning at concept or at, or at fertilization, however you want to describe it. I think, I think our, the way of getting there um, we may have a disagreement about that, but I'm not going to be critical of people that are approaching the same goal I have uh, because they're approaching it a different way. I don't think it's going to be successful right now, but and and I want that back. That's back to my motivation here. I want to protect life in the womb first. That's the big deal, and then oh, sure. Yeah. So, and here and here in South Carolina, it yeah. ought to be much easier. I mean, as 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 Republican as our state house is, oh man, uh, it's not even a, it shouldn't even be a question of what the Democrats want or think or what culture says we ought to do. No, There's you're, plenty of Republicans that right. that their party platform says exactly you know what I'm saying. And if we could just, uh, we have Republicans, yeah. you know, uh, in the state house on the, on the floor of the of, the, of Congress uh, arguing between republicans hey we should do this no we shouldn't do that because we can't get it passed well all we need is republican votes we don't need any democrat votes well but that's when you say that yep you're right you're right but when you say that we what you just said we we need to do but we don't have the votes that does mean we don't have the republican votes because you're right if we had them uh there wouldn't be anything we couldn't do i expressed this frustration yesterday when i talked about uh, you, you realize Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday in Arkansas signed a universal school choice bill that it's going to gradually ramp up to universal school choice. Uh, but it, it, I think it'll be there by 20, uh, 2025. But it, it starts out robust and then grows to universal choice. And then on, on top of that, they, the bill says that you can't teach about the LGBTQ agenda until I mean, all the way through the the fifth grade. I mean, that's be, that's more than what DeSantis got down in Florida. And then you look at Tennessee. Tennessee governor just signed a ban on drag queens, you know, cavorting around in front of minors. They just signed a ban on surgery 
on minors, transgender surgery and puberty blockers and cross, cross hormone treatments. And I'm going, what? We've got 88 Republicans in the House. We've got 40, I mean, excuse me, 30 Republican senators in the Senate. We have a Republican governor. Everybody's a Republican. Why can't we just walk in one day and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this, 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 right. Senator the governor. I mean, I, I, I agree with that. That's that's very frustrating. So, listen, I, I appreciate Well, no, Rob, listen, um, thanks for pushing me. Um, I, I don't mind being pushed because it makes me constantly have to think about the stance that I take and why I do it. So, anyway, appreciate that. Hope you have a good day. The, the His Radio Talk format's going away March 31st, and the engineers are coming in here and just hauling stuff out on a daily basis. So sometimes we come in, you know, I had to go hunt a chair this morning. Uh, I had to hook, hook up a new microphone that already stripped. The, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, we <laughs> we did get into a pretty lively discussion in the break, and I think that's important. Um, you, go ahead and hop in on this, Noah, um, because they, like I said, in in South Carolina, let me, let me go back and, and and kind of put a flag down here. In South Carolina, the pro life community has been fractured over this question. Okay, I mean, just like there are people that are are good friends of mine that are all about passing a bill that would include the criminalization of women when they have if they have an abortion and they're you know they're out garnering support they're making their case getting people to come to the table and then there are people on the other side that are well we can't do that you know and there some of them are not uh, are not too gracious about it on both sides. I mean, you've got Rob. It was was gracious, and you can have a conversation when somebody's really being gracious and and trying to engage. So when you've got people on both sides, it turns out that the most vocal are the ones that sort of define the argument, and we can't come together. I think one of the reasons that we don't have pro life legislation passed in South Carolina is because we do have. A division in our pro-life community. And I think conversations like I just have with Rob are really important and we need to have more of them. But we tend to not talk to each other, okay? We tend to get over here in our tribe and say, well, this is what we believe and it's the only way to get it done and we've got to do it this way. And then you've got people on the other side saying the same thing about a different approach. And if you put those two sides together, you've got a formidable political movement i mean you've got you, you you've got if we could ever agree on something and so i'm all for us trying to get together and have these conversations and i don't mind being pushed because i'm conflict i'll be the first to admit on the air uh, because this is truth in politics and culture it has to that truth has to start with the host uh, i'll be the first to admit that i'm conflicted about that because of the justice factor. Uh, Rob was right to pick up on my last statement and say that love without justice is is not true it's not true love. It's that you because it allows a multitude of mistreatment under the banner of love if you don't have a just love, if you don't have a justice mixed with it. So I, I but I keep going back as as I've struggled with this. I've landed on the spot that okay 
our job as Christians is to convince people, it's to put the truth out there and let the Holy Spirit convict them so that they come to the knowledge of the truth. I can't stuff it inside them. I can't make them take it. I've got to be winsome. I've got to be forthright. I've got to be firm, but I've also got to win them, win them over with the logic of an argument or, or whatever that is. Until then, you know, again, politics, there is a difference between what I say and when I preach in the pulpit, there's some difference, nuance, not difference in the truth, but difference in the way I approach a political issue than a, um, a, you know, when I'm just preaching in the pulpit. And I hope you can understand that. I'm not talking about compromising the truth. I'm talking about speaking the truth in love, acknowledging where we are politically and trying to get what we can get out of a legislature. Because I can't get, I can't, as I said before, and I know I'm starting to sound like a broken record, um, I can't walk in there and dictate things. I have to go in there and persuade people. And in that persuasion, and, and I have to persuade the public because the public, everybody's not a believer. I mean, there are conservatives that don't believe in Jesus, and they go and they have their agendas. And if you're going to get something passed into law, then you're going to have to take what you can and get what you get what you can get. You can't stand in there and demand it has to be this way or no way. How many times have you heard me say that if it's all or nothing? Most of the time, we're going to get nothing. If it's my way or the highway, the highway is going to be crowded because a lot of people are going to take the highway because they don't like your way. And that's the way politics works. I wish it worked differently. And in Rob's point, everybody's a if everybody agreed on the Republican platform, you know, and, and everybody read it the same way, yeah, we could get more things done. So does does that make any sense? Yes, I I'm think just babbling over here. Go ahead. Well, I think it has to become a public consensus, right? It has to be absolutely unequivocal that that is a life. And that's not where we stand from a society unfortunately because these women have been told from planned parenthood or their boyfriend or their parents whoever is pressuring them into an abortion that it is just a clump of cells, that it's not a big deal, that it's their rights it, it, and you know, suppressing that would be suppressing women's rights, according to what they're told. And they're hearing all of this. In order to hold them criminally liable, there has to be no question about that part of it. Because as long as there is a question about it, they think there's nothing to be criminally li liable for. For what? They think it's, it's just women's rights. There's no problem. Well, plus society hasn't made that statement through the law. In other words, we, we, don't, we don't have laws that criminalize women for abortion. For 50 years... Uh, you know, they walk freely into an abortion clinic. So to go from we're, we're not, we're not going to have any law to criminalize women to we're going to lock up a women when they have abortions, um, that, that's, we, we can't do that quite as a society politically. We can only accomplish politically what we have the political will to accomplish. So I'm going to speak the truth, and then politically I'm going to try to accomplish as close to the truth as I can. Now, that may sound like a contradiction, but again, I, don't, I proclaim the truth. I cannot force people to embrace it. I have to win them over to my side. Milo, thanks for calling. 
I don't really have anything left to say because I called before you and your um, your co-host Rob uh, today. Um, Noah, the last point. But yeah. what I was about to say was that it was the same thing about that. We've just had 50 years that Roe v. Wade was the law of the land. That's two full generations of women and men, of course, too, but it's, it's primarily women. And then a third generation that was even partially raised with it like that. Would you have that much time elapsing where people are being told that something is not just legal, but it's a right? You cannot counter it with just the, uh, a, C- a Supreme Court decision and a law that's passed in, in uh, one or two states that, that said that makes it illegal. That's the whole reason why the Prohibition Amendment failed and that we had to go back and revisit it and then make it legal again. It was legal for too long beforehand. You can't legislate. I don't have a problem legislating morality. I have a problem with people who don't accept when we met, uh, when we legislate morality, and that's that's what we have. We have to change the hearts and minds first before we can start holding them legally accountable. Well, in a in a constitutional republic, we have to do that. If we had a, a dictatorship, I mean, it's, it's kind of like uh, if you go back in church history, you know, Christians went to bed one night in the fourth century being hunted thrown into the arena, uh, burned at the stake, and they woke up the next morning, and Constantine was the emperor, and all of a sudden Christianity was the, was, was the protected religion. So, you know, that, to go from, from that scenario that, in, that I just described to full-blown acceptance of Christianity, we, we would have to have an emperor, <laughs> or we'd have to, we, we don't operate that way. We have a constitutional republic, so we have to convince, we have to cajole, we have to um, go out and win and with argument and logic, and, you know, Rob's got logic on his side, uh, quite frankly, uh, but I'm trying to say yes, just not now, because first has got to be the protection of life. Then we can start talking about the finer points of who's responsible once the baby is protected. But anyway, Milo, thanks. I appreciate it. Gene, go ahead. Okay. What comes to mind in this conversation is the uh, Gospels, where uh, Jesus was faced with a crowd that had a woman that was caught in adultery. And uh, as the uh, event occurred, Jesus then commented, essentially, uh, he is without sin, cast the first stone. But what was he saying there? He was saying, without mercy, there is no justice. And however, how is justice applied? Uh, uh, he was inferring, from my understanding, where's the men? You brought the woman, where are the men in this conversation? And, and that's what I'm bringing up here. Where are the men in this conversation? Uh, where, you know, uh, who, uh, who's, who also is complicit in, in, uh, this activity that ought to be brought to bear with any kind of of, uh, of uh, reproach uh, that needs to be dealt with. Yeah, Gene, thanks. That's all I say. No, I, no, you. That that's a great um, additional point. You know, I think the woman caught in adultery is very relevant when you look at Jesus' response, because Jesus was saying to that to that woman, and he was saying, well, more importantly, at first he was saying to the crowd, "You would stone her." but you are guilty 
of the same sin, where is mercy? What you know, you if you if you're going to execute judgment, you can't be guilty of the same sin that you're about to execute her for, and that's why we would drop their rocks and walked away. Look, I've I've got a theory, and you, you know, I'm speculating here, but I sometimes wonder. You know, Jesus bent down and wrote in the ground on the ground with his finger, and every everybody you know everybody speculates about what he's writing. My speculation is he was writing the names of the men standing there that had been with that woman. Because stop and think, she's a prostitute. Okay? So do you think there weren't some men standing there that had probably availed themselves of her services? And Jesus is saying, are, are you really going to throw a rock at her? Uh, because she's been publicly brought forward here? Um, you know, so I thought that was... Anyway, thanks, Gene. Matt, you brought up a good point there. We appreciate Noah being with us today. Um, he's on, is it break? Is that what it is? From yep, spring, spring break. break. I'll yeah. be going back to school Monday. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think, uh, and our spring break starts Monday, which is kind of weird. But anyway, um, if you wonder why I just reached out and touched you if you're watching <laughs> Facebook Live, it's because we, that's how we adjust the lighting in here. You probably saw I look like a ghost. And now I've got to actually have skin tone. So um, that's that's how you fix that on a iPad. I didn't know that, but we've learned that since we've been doing the show. You learn things in 21 years. You know, they just, things come along and you go, oh, okay. I know, but now you got it dark, so you're making Noah trying to disappear over here. So. Oh, no, 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 no. Noah's, he, we can see Noah. Okay. Yeah. Um, since we're on a sort of a, a Christian topic day, Here's a, here's a story from Christian Post that I thought was interesting. Over half of Christians say they sometimes experience doubts about their religious beliefs. You know what that you know what the headline tells me? That half of Christians are lying. Because I would say all Christians at some point um, experience some level of doubt about their religious beliefs. I don't even think my argument would be that doubt is not a bad thing as long as you it what what matters is how you handle it uh, if you feed it if you embrace it then that's a very bad thing but when doubt arises it can be a real opportunity to build a deeper foundation for your faith if you approach it in the right manner does that make sense yes i mean you'd be irrational to never doubt and right. that's, that's what makes our faith so much stronger is that we read the word, we learn truth, and we have experiences with other believers and with God that overcome all that doubt we have. The questions that we didn't understand, we now do understand, whether that's through further reading or, or something that somebody tells us. And like you said, without doubt, that would probably be a problem. I'm sure the other 50% are, are, are scared to admit yeah, that, but yeah. it's no big deal. Yeah. I would never go to people and say, oh, I never doubt. I've never had any doubt. In fact, um, again, I there is a – Satan causes us to doubt. I mean, he, he comes at you with that, and we're susceptible to it as human beings. We live in the flesh. But I've I found that doubt – is a coldness. I mean, you can feel the the coldness of doubt when you begin to. If you go down that road at all, uh, you feel the chill of, you know, being away from God, so to speak, because of your of the direction you're moving with your doubt. 
And it's it's actually a very rewarding thing in the same way that if you're outside and it's really cold and you're cold and, and it's almost hurting you, you open the door and walk in and there's a roaring fireplace there and immediately you're embraced by a, a warmth that is very gratifying. And I think that a lot of times when we experience the coldness of doubt and it turns into the warmth of the confidence that God gives us when we turn to him to answer our questions. You know, if, if I'm out walking in the cold and I decide just to get in the car, you know, to get now, okay, maybe the wind's not hitting me, but I don't have the keys, so I can't crank the car. So it's, it's almost as cold in the car. You know, if my solution to my doubt leads me to a place that doesn't draw me back into the warmth of the truth of God, then that's a bad thing. But if it causes me to open that door, go to God. I've, I, let me say this, because I can say this with full confidence. I have never gone to God and expressed a doubt where I've been rejected or chastised. I've been encouraged, brought in from the cold, so to speak and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. I think that's a fair statement. Um, okay, Eugene, thanks for calling. Good morning, Doc. Well, good morning, Dr. Tony. You know, uh, this whole abortion thing, you see, I've got a personal stake in this. Um, we have a 10-and-a-half-year-old daughter that we adopted about four hours after her birth. You see, in this country, abortion is illegal with zero exceptions, none whatsoever. Yeah. And when I, when I think about if abortion had been legal, we may have never known this little girl. Right. What a blessing. She's ten and a half years old now, in the top ten in her Christian school, and she's a blessing, and I mean a big blessing. Well, you're embracing... Uh, and, and, yeah, go ahead. That's just the end. I agree uh, when Gene called, too. Uh, it doesn't take just one. Where are the men in this? They need to step up. Yeah, now that, that, that's true. Um, and like I said, the, the bill that Rob was talking about, I think, includes uh, if men are directly culpable, they could be uh, brought in and considered co-conspirators or something like that. But anyway, all right, um, thanks, uh, Eugene, I appreciate that. It, imagine that. In Philippines, you can't get an abortion. And that's true. He's right. It's, it is against the law. Let me just uh, give this information to you. The, when we're talking about Christians doubting, this comes from a study uh, entitled Doubt and Faith, Top Reasons People Question Christianity, and it's based on a survey of 2005 U.S. adults and teenagers ages 13 to 17 conducted online December 13th to the 22nd with a margin of error of plus or minus 2.0 percentage points at the 95% confidence level. Wow. So anyway, um, it, it's, a, it's a valid study. And about 50%, and if you're wondering where that number comes from as far as doubting, what does that mean? About 50% say they've gone through a period of doubt at some point in their life. 27% of respondents said their doubt came from past experiences with a religious institution. So sometimes it can be circumstantial. Uh, you can go through a very difficult time in your life, and it, it can drive you toward doubt. 
sometimes it drives people toward doubt before it pulls them back to faith. I mean, it's um, that's just it's the world we live in. We're not we're not in heaven yet, and as long as we're here on this earth, we're going to have to struggle and deal with from time to time the doubts that can creep in. My advice to you is this: Jesus is the truth. His word is true. Go to the word, pray, and you'll find the path to the truth. You're, you're not gonna your your doubts will flee because they come from the darkness. And once you pull those doubts into the light, um, that's that's the way to deal with them. Always.